Father, we are seeking you as your people. You invite us to come before your throne of mercy, before your throne of grace, to find mercy in the time of need. And you know our needs, some of them physical, some of them financial, some of them spiritual, some of them struggle in our families, and we trust that you can meet every single need according to your power and your mercy and your love. So we lay him at your feet. You have our surrender. God, we, we need your Holy Spirit to empower our church to strengthen the bonds of unity keep our eyes focused on you, to empower our witness to a, to a lost world, God. We need your provision of financial and people and spiritual resources in a way that only you can give, in a way that only you can get the honor and the glory. We pray that you do that. God, we pray that, that you be in the situations in the world where there are military struggles, where, where people are hungry, where people are afraid, where innocent people are dying. We know that we'll only have perfect peace when Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, would you give us even a little temporary peace? Would you make yourself known in those difficult places? And will you be in our midst today as we open up the scriptures? Will your spirit speak to us and give us conviction and change us from the inside out? We are your people, trusting in your name because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. Amen. Some of you know that uh, we have fruit trees in our backyard and because we have fruit trees, we also have possums. <clears throat> and so sometimes during the day I see five or seven mangoes in our mango tree and, and then the next day a couple of them disappear. And, uh, <clears throat> and I figure that it's the possums. So sometimes in the middle of the night, 10, 11 o'clock at night, I will turn on the floodlights in my backyard and, and there will be two or three possums that just kind of stand still and then they just kind of scurry into the darkness. You know, possums avoid the light. But children of God should avoid the darkness. We are in a series in the book of Ephesians <clears throat> And as we continue this series, it's called Called and Accountable. Called and Accountable. The book of Ephesians reminds us of who we are in Christ. We're called as children of God to be in Christ. And then we're accountable for the way that we live, that calling. And, and that's uh, what we're exploring together. So last Sunday, we talked about walking in newness. We talked about what it means to put on the new self and what it means to take off the old self. And today... 
we are exploring the contrast between darkness and light. And so I've titled the message, Avoid Darkness. And, and, and you can ask yourself today, are you living in spiritual darkness or are you living in spiritual light? So let's jump in to our text beginning with verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 verse 3. And it reads like this. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because there are, these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Christ followers are called to avoid the darkness and live as children of light. Paul reminds his readers, you were once darkness. You used to be darkness, but now, now you're children of light. And that has huge implications. So, so let's talk about that. If, if we are to avoid the darkness, what are the characteristics of darkness? And so I, I want to identify five of them, at least in our text. It's not an exhaustive list, but, but at least is a, a, a representative list. And the first one that we see here is immorality. In particular, it refers to sexual immorality. The King James Version uh, uses the word fornication. And, and, and by that, it means any sexual activity outside of the marriage between a husband and a wife. God has given us the gift of sex. It is a holy, beautiful thing, but it is to be enjoyed in the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that, the Bible calls sexual immorality, and it's a sin. And it is characteristic of a lifestyle of spiritual darkness, regardless of what the world calls it or labels it. Secondly, impurity. While sexual immorality might be the act, the physical act, impurity often happens in our mind. It, it might involve our eyes. It might involve our conversation. It may not be the actual act of immorality, but it is still sinful according to the scriptures. I remember uh, some time ago I was talking to a couple and the husband uh, seemed to have eyes that wandered all over the place and, and, and she told me with a sense of nonchalant confidence, she said, well, I told him he can look all he wants as long as he doesn't touch. I said, well, that's an interesting thing because that's not how Jesus looks at it. Jesus, in, he says that in his book, Wherever our eyes go, it matters. Look at Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. 
But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Impurity includes the lust of the eyes. It includes conversations. It includes anything that stains our hearts and our minds. Anytime that we objectify someone, whether it's a woman or a man, if we objectify them, if we look at them as objects to satisfy our sexual desires, whether they're fantasies or otherwise, it is impurity and it is characteristic of the lifestyle of darkness. The third one that the Bible gives us here, here is greed. Greed is that controlling desire to have things or money at the expense of people, at the expense of our spiritual lives. It's another kind of lust. It's, it's not sexual lust, but it's material lust. Now, greedy people, you'll, you'll distinguish them because they are never content with what they have. They're never happy. They, they always have more, but they're never happy with more. They're never thankful for what they have. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have more. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have good things. Those are blessings from God. There's nothing wrong with a healthy ambition to, 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 to hire your standard living, to provide for your family, to enjoy things in life. But, but when you're never happy with what you have, when you're never thankful for the things that God has given you, you may have a greed problem. And the Bible says that greed, that, that, that whoever is greedy is an idolater. Verse 5. In other words, they have uh, made money a God. They have given money the place that belongs to God. They have given material things the place that belongs to the giver of all good things. And that's why Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him, he warns him. He says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He doesn't say that money is a root of evil. He says the love of money is a root of evil. He says loving money has spiritual implications. When we love money and possessions more than we love God, more than we love people, we are committing idolatry. We're worshiping material things. And greed is a characteristic of a lifestyle of spiritual darkness. Fourthly, in the realm of spiritual darkness, we find deceit. Spiritual darkness doesn't allow you to see what is true. It hides it from you. Darkness is the perfect environment to deceive and to mislead. That's why people get lost. And in the realm of spiritual darkness, not only are people deceived, but they also become deceivers. People who hang out in the realm of spiritual darkness become habitual liars. They don't know how to tell the truth because they live in darkness. And it's characteristic of a lifestyle of spiritual darkness. And then fifth, drunkenness. Paul tells the believers in, in Ephesus and Asia Minor not to get drunk with wine. Now, wine is a normal thing in the Mediterranean regions. Uh, you know that Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding feast in Cana. You know that when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, he was drinking wine and he instituted the Lord's Supper with a cup of wine. In fact, 
Paul tells Timothy, when Timothy is having indigestion problems, he tells him to drink a little wine. You can find that in 1 Timothy 5.23. Paul is not telling his readers here that they can't drink wine. He's telling them they shouldn't get drunk. Drunkenness involves losing control of one's senses, and it opens up the way for the sinful nature to have its way. Now, some of us grew up in church traditions where uh, they believed in total abstinence from alcohol. And in fact, some still have that conviction, and, and we can respect that. It comes from the Puritan days and from the Prohibition days, and, and there's respect for that. The Bible doesn't prohibit drinking wine, but it does prohibit drunkenness. And I believe there are two legitimate positions when it comes to alcohol. There is, there is complete abstinence, and some people have that conviction, and then there's moderation. Both of them are biblical because neither one of them gives room to drunkenness. Abstinence or moderation is a, personal, it's a matter of personal conviction. And, and you can read Romans 14 and apply that to this issue. You remember Romans 14? Uh, the church was having problems because some people said, you shouldn't eat meat because it's been offered to idols in the marketplace. And so there were some people who became vegetarians. And there were some people that said, no, you can eat meat because anyway, God blesses it and we don't believe that idols are real anyway, so we can eat meat. And, and who's right? The meat eaters or the, or the vegetarians in the church? And Paul says, it's a matter of personal conviction. And the key is that you respect each other because everyone's conviction is unto the Lord. And so you can apply that principle to this. But what we can be sure of here is that drunkenness is characteristic of a lifestyle of spiritual darkness. So here are these five things that are representative of darkness. Immorality, impurity, greed, deceit, and drunkenness. Now we should note that all these five things are distortions of good things, because that's the way sin works. Sex, money, food, and drink are all good things that God has given us. They're things that God gave us to enjoy life. But it is when we distort those things, when we take those things outside of the bounds that God has created for us, that they become sinful and destructive. The second thing that I want to share with you is the consequences of a lifestyle of darkness. Paul writes to the believers and he warns them not to be partners with those that live like that, with those that practice this lifestyle, not to make themselves at home. And that doesn't mean that we do not interact with people who are far away from God, because if we don't interact with them, then how are they ever going to have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to be loved into the kingdom? It does not mean that we come across with people who live in sinful lifestyles that we come across as superior to them. It, it, we don't get snooty and we say, look, I'm better than you because I don't live the way that you do. That's not what this means. That's why Paul reminds us, hey, remember, you used to be darkness. It's by the grace of God that now you walk in the light. So, so it's not the spiritual, uh, so-called spiritual pride that is uh, inviting. What it means is not to partner with them in a lifestyle of darkness. Here's, here's the difference. Those of us that are Christ followers from time to time stumble and fall, don't we? I stumble and fall. But there's a difference between falling and living in sin. 
There's a difference between stumbling and extending your hand for the Savior to pick you up so that you can keep walking to the light and between jumping into the mud pit and liking it there and staying there. The Bible tells us that those who, who practice such lifestyles do not have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's the consequence of a lifestyle of spiritual darkness. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that they do not have inheritance in the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is wherever God rules. Wherever Jesus is Lord, there the kingdom of God is. So if Jesus is Lord of your heart, the kingdom of God is in your heart. If Jesus is Lord in this gathering, then the kingdom of God is here. There's a sense in which the kingdom of God is here and now. And so those people who are living in spiritual darkness cannot participate of the blessings of the kingdom of God here and now. You cannot worship sex and money and self and be in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God consists of the rule of God where Jesus is Lord. You can't live in both places at the same time. But the most serious and ultimate consequence of this kind of lifestyle has to do with the future kingdom. There's a sense that the kingdom of God is here and now, and there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is yet to come. It is the full expression of the rule of God, and it involves eternity, it involves eternal life. And it says that those that practice a lifestyle of darkness cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It includes that, eternal life. Does that mean that if you're a Christian and, and you sin, then you lose salvation, and then you lose the opportunity to go to heaven? Is that what this means? Well, I think uh, verses 8 and 9 answer that question of what this means. Verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Verse 9, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. See, those who practice immorality, impurity, and greed are part of the kingdom of darkness. Those who become children of light live in a new realm. Bible says that the fruit of light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. So here's the key. The key is this word fruit. The fruit means the evidence. The fruit of our lives is evidence of what kingdom we belong to. In other words, if our lifestyle gives evidence of who we are, that means that if our lifestyle is characteristic of darkness, we belong to the kingdom of darkness. And if our lifestyle is characteristic of light, then we belong to the kingdom of light. But that doesn't mean that Christians are perfect or sinless. That's not what it means. It means that, that our lifestyle, our, our, our modus operandi is that or this. It is not about single acts but it is about the lifestyle that we practice. You know, uh, Saturdays are a big day for college football and, and it's fun to watch football games and, and some of you are fans of different teams, so I won't mention any. I know we had an exciting night with baseball and, and the Astros and the Yankees. Uh, maybe we can mention the Astros, right? So, all right, uh, there's one person awake. Uh, and, and it's fun to watch games and to see the competition, right? And sometimes athletes make mistakes, don't they? Like if, if you're watching a football game, it's pretty disappointing when somebody throws an interception, isn't it? it it's pretty disappointing when somebody fumbles, right? 
you don't like it because it gives possession to the opposite team and they can score points and it's disappointing, but you know, it happens, right? It happens in, in games, people fumble. But what if a person from one team would decide in the middle of the game that they want to change teams? What if they say, you know what? They're winning, I'm just going to go over to the other team. And they began to play for the opposite team. How do you think they'll be welcome in the locker room during halftime? Or the celebration at the end of the game when the right team wins? Well, well you see, that's the difference. It's, there's a difference between, some of us fumble. I fumble sometimes. I'm not proud of it. It's not pretty, but I fumble. But the important thing is that I know I'm on the right team. Amen. I know I'm playing for the winning team. And I know that I, I can go to the locker room at halftime and be loved and encouraged. And I know when it's all said and done, we'll be celebrating. So that's the difference. And then lastly, there's a contrast to the lifestyle of darkness. If, if darkness is characterized by immorality and impurity and greed and deceit and drunkenness, what is the difference, what spiritual light characterized by? Well, let me give you five things that we can draw from the passage rather quick. The first one is exposure. Those of us who are children of light are, are admonished to expose the deeds of darkness. That means bringing out the sinful deeds from darkness to light. It, it means turning on the light in the closet, even if the little roaches run. It, 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 means, it means shining the light on the ugly so that it can be exposed. That's what verse 11 says. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And so exposure means... First of all, it means that we call things what they are. We call things the way God sees them. See, because one of the tendencies of, of the kingdom of darkness is to minimize things, is to mislabel things. Yeah, that's not a big deal. But exposure means let's call it what it is. I, I read an article the other day uh, that, that was uh, correcting a previous article because in the previous article they had reported that someone had had an inappropriate sexual relationship. But in the corrective article, they said, well, it was abuse. Now there's a difference. And somebody said to the journalist, you gotta call it what it is, because it makes a difference. So exposure is recognizing and bringing things into the light of God and calling them what God calls them. It also includes confession. When we confess our sins, we expose them to the light. We bring them out. Listen, when you don't confess your sins, it, sin has a hold on you. But when you confess it, there is a liberating power. When you bring it to the light, 1 John 1, 6 through 9, listen to this. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want you to notice there's a connection here uh, of walking in the light, fellowship with one another, and cleansing and forgiveness and confession. Confession and then cleansing and forgiveness. And I believe that part of walking in the light and fellowship with one another is not just confessing things to God, but it's confessing things to one another. And that's important that we have people in our lives that we can trust, our, our huddle, our accountability group, that, that, that the people that are close to us that we can say, look, I need to confess something. I'm going to expose something so that I don't stay in the dark. Secondly, alertness. Walking in the light includes alertness. Uh, verse 14 says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. It's not talking about people in the service. <laughs> or maybe it is. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Eugene Peterson in the message where it says rise from the dead, he says, climb out of your coffins. The light of Christ calls us to be awake. I think young people said we need to be woke, Right? We, we need to be alert uh, about what's going on, spiritually alert. Thirdly, wisdom. Those who walk as children of light make good choices and they seize the opportunities to do good. Verses 15 through 17, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Wisdom leads us to discern the times and to live in a way that really matters. We, we understand the minutes and the hours matter. Wisdom helps us to make good choices that make a positive difference, not just for us, but for others also. Rather than being victims of what happens to us, we make things happen that bring glory to his name. And then fourth, Sobriety. Children of life of light live in sobriety. We're not we don't live under the influence, but we live under the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Whether your personal conviction is total abstinence or moderation, the point here is who is in control? The children of life live under the control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our true source of, of joy and strength and healing, which leads us to our fifth characteristic. It's joy. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will radiate joy. You know, when people are drunk with wine, they let their emotions go. They either cry a lot or laugh a lot, or they say, I love you a lot. You know? I don't know how many times people said, I love you. People never say, I love you to me in my family. Say, I love you to me like 10 times. Right? But, but those who, who, are, who are drunk with wine let go of their emotions and their mouths. But those who are drunk with the Spirit of God exude genuine joy, true joy. I like the way the message reads verses 18 to 20. It says, don't drink too much wine that cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, huge draughts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. 
Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master Jesus Christ. When the Spirit of God fills you, you can't help but sing. There's joy in your life. You can't ever drink too much of the Holy Spirit. You just keep drinking and drinking and, and, and being drunk in the spirit results in, in this power and this joy, this singing of praises to him and in gratitude. That's how you know people have the spirit of God. They're constantly grateful. They're thankful to God. So here are the five things that our passage gives us as a contrast to darkness. Exposure, alertness, wisdom, sobriety, and joy. I hope that your life is characterized by these. I hope that as a child of God, you know who you are. And because you know who you are, you know how to live. And the more you practice these things, the more you find the fulfillment that comes from knowing God. We've been called to be children of light. That's who we are. And because of who we are, that's how we should walk. We should avoid the darkness. The only reason we should ever penetrate the darkness is to pray and to love and to rescue the perishing. Which kingdom are you living in today? Are you living in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light? Christ calls you to step out of darkness and step into his light. If you've been sort of walking the fence, you've been straddling the fence, it's time for you to just get out. Get out of the darkness and step into the light. Expose, confess, and join the winning team. The light has already overcome the darkness. You know? It, if a room in your house is dark, all you need to do is turn on the light. The light has already overcome the darkness Jesus had already had the victory. And one day that will become evident. And it will be so good to know that we're on the side, side of the light. And that we've walked in the light. And that we brought glory to him. Will you, will you step into the light? Will you walk in the light this week? Let's bow our heads together as we, as we think about how God has spoken to us. Would you consider what God is calling you to do today as a response to his word? Maybe he's giving you conviction of something in your life that needs to change. And the way that change happens in your life is not by trying hard, it is by surrendering it. We sang earlier today, God, you have my surrender. That means that, that our victory is obtained with our surrender. When we put it at the feet of Jesus and we say, God, I recognize that, that this is wrong in my life and I can't change it myself, but I surrender it to you so you can change it in me. Well, I recognize I'm not growing in this area. I'm struggling. I know, that, I know that's supposed to be the fruit of the Spirit, but apparently this, I'm not letting the Spirit do what he needs to do there. So I surrender that. Would you do that? Would you pray?
and ask God to work in your life, to pull you more and more and more into his light. Maybe you're here today and you've never been rescued from the darkness. And today you realize that you need Jesus. He's the only one that can rescue you. And you can pray this prayer where you are. You can say, God, I, I know that I'm, I'm living in darkness. I just confess that right now. But I know you came to die on the cross to deliver me, to rescue me from darkness. So be my savior, be my Lord, and rescue me right now. Forgive my sins, make me a new person, and teach me how to walk in the light. Give me your spirit, God. I wanna drink of that fountain of joy. pray that prayer with faith God will listen and he'll do the work in your heart maybe there's something else God wants to do in your life maybe it's time for you to follow him in believers baptism to be fully committed as a disciple maybe it's time for you to start sharing your faith with others or to join a group a home fellowship a huddle to join this church. Whatever God is leading you to do is a time to respond. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your spirit. I pray that he be the one giving us conviction and giving us a change that we need in our hearts. Help us to trust you. We want you to be in control. We want to enjoy the benefits of being in your kingdom here and now and through eternity. So do your work in us even now. Here we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. And as we sing, you respond. You, you seal the deal with Jesus. You tell him yes, and you, you can do that where you are. You can come and kneel down. You can come pray with me up here. This is time between you and God.